You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 586 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Thursday evening, late into the night, into Friday morning. And earlier today, I spoke with the great Sam Vecini of The Athletic, uh, their NBA draft analyst, and uh, for my money, the best in the business at covering the NBA draft, analyzing it, and also uh, source stuff around the league. So uh, please stay tuned for that interview with Sam. It's about an hour long. We had a great conversation, and it's one that I'm really excited to bring to you guys and one that I was hoping to get done. <laughs> so I'm very happy to have Sam on the podcast. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to take a second to remind you to subscribe to this podcast via the Himalaya app or the Apple Podcasts app or Google Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, we should definitely be there. And if we're not there, please let me know that. We'll get that fixed for you in a hurry. And also appreciate everybody's flexibility on the last podcast that I recorded with Brian Schroeder. First of all, thank you for listening to it. And second of all, um, the late the late drop date of that was a technical issue on the uh, site on the sort of on the, on the part of our host. So uh, my apologies for that. And hopefully that will not be the case moving forward. But there we go. And uh, without further ado, uh, a couple of quick ads, and we'll get to a full podcast episode interview with Sam Bassini, so please stay tuned for that. Sam, thank you for taking the time in this uh, silly season. How are you, my friend? Oh, it's not bad. I'm just out here fielding calls from agents, fielding calls from executives, trying to figure out what's going to happen uh, in seven days. We really don't know uh, at this stage, just because we don't know who's even going to have the picks. Like we're, we're, we're at the stage now where uh, you know, we're trying to figure out what the Pelicans can get for number four before they even officially have number four. <laughs> so uh, that's where we're at. Chess moves. We're all five moves ahead. Um, obviously, this will be mostly Hawks stuff, but I wanted to ask you before we get to Hawks specifically, like kind of what you think of this draft. I, I know because I've heard you say it a few times, but for, for listeners that may not know where you stand as a draft guy and an expert, like how do you view this class overall? Obviously, everyone kind of agrees about number one, but beyond that, how do you sort of stack up these guys versus previous years and just overall? So I would say that number one is a really good spot to be because I think Zion's the best prospect since Anthony Davis. Two and three is a solid spot to be because I believe John Morant and RJ Barrett are worth top five picks or something like that. From four to, I don't know, 17, 20, something like that. I think you're probably going to get slightly less uh, marginal value out of those picks than what you typically do in a normal draft. Uh, There's just too much uncertainty in regard to the uh, players involved. Uh, They are unfinished products at this stage. There are a lot of players like Nasir Little and Cam Reddish and Romeo Langford and Jackson Hayes and guys like that that are talented, very skilled, but are uh, at the end of the day something of a uh, you know home run swing, something of a lottery ticket to take. Um, from twenty, let's say from twenty five to forty five, something in that range, um, you know twenty one to forty five, we could even say. I really like the value of this draft because so many early entrants uh, have decided to declare probably a little bit earlier than what they typically do in the NBA draft. Like I've been doing this for six, seven years, something like that. I've lost count. And this is the first time that no one in my top 30 ended up returning to school. So we have a very deep draft and we have – 86, I believe it is, uh, early entrance from college plus all of the seniors. So it's a very deep group where I think we're going to get some undrafted players that end up providing value. And I think the teams from 25 to 45 are probably going to be pretty happy with their results at the end of the day on draft day. But, um, you know, how, how do you mix all of that together when evaluating a draft? I think that it is, uh, I think it's tough to say, really, because it really is just a very mixed bag. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, through the prism of the Hawks, they obviously have these, they have six picks now. It was five and now it's six. Um, and 
through those tiers, uh, the Hawks have three picks in the zone you don't want to be in, probably, between uh, between 4 and 20 or so. Um, and then they have three in the, I guess, the better value zone in the second round. But, you know, not, not ideal placement, but they still have a lot of capital to work with, as well as some future picks. And there's talks of trades up and trades down. Um, I'm on the record as not liking trading up very much in this class. Um, I, I mean, I, I, obviously you hear things even that I wouldn't have heard at this point in time. What do you make of all of the rumblings that the Hawks could want a package move up? It obviously makes sense because they have so many assets, but on the flip side, the value may not be great. So where do you stand on the potential rumblings with uh, Atlanta trying to jump up to like four or five? Yeah, you know, it's hard to separate smokescreen from reality this time of year. Um you know, throughout the course of the season, you know, the Hawks have been linked to Cam Reddish pretty heavily. Like, I'm sure that you've heard that being down there. And Certainly. Covering games and everything. Um, throughout the course of the pre-draft process, uh, I've, you know, heard the rumblings about Jarrett Culver and him being the guy that they want, uh, as I'm sure you've heard, right? Like, that's not, yep. uh, that's not. That's been reported. Not, right? not a like, secret. Not, I think I think Jeremy Wood reported that, and then even before that, Sean Demaney did too. There's been a lot. There's been some rumblings out there. Yeah, like that. That's a thing that's out there uh, that is very real. So I think that first and foremost, we're dealing with a semi-new front office with Travis Schlenk. Now we knew the Hawks last year really liked Trey Young. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it is a deal where they let their, um, you know, they let their feelings loose in public. But, uh, you know, I think that we don't have enough information there to know yet. And I think that we need to be cautious about this. Having said that, a team is not going to take six rookies into camp next year. No, they're not. Um, I would imagine that the Hawks do want to consolidate on some level their pick values. Now, for me personally, the best way to do that would be like eight, 17 in a second round pick up to four or five, right? Like that, that's what I would prefer to do now. Why don't you want to do that? Would be my question. Uh, it's not that, you know, if, if they got the guy that they wanted, um, I don't hate that just because of what you said, like consolidating picks makes sense with all the capital they have. I don't love the value jump to just move up in this draft. I think this is kind of a flat draft. And in theory, you would not want to move up in a sure. flat draft, but down. Um, but, you know, if you feel like I think you do, and I know I do, like I would much rather have uh, Culver or Hunter than the guys who they could probably get at eight. Um, so if you if you just think that, if the Hawks view those guys as significantly better than the options they have at eight, jumping up a few spots to get one of their guys or get their guy does make sense because they have all this capital uh, even with the flat nature of the draft, like that's kind of my pushback. I, I, I'm not as against it now as I was before, um, but because of the logistics involved in this team specifically, I would be more okay with it. I just, you know, I can't, you know, in my mind somewhere it's telling me like the value's bad on this, and I think the value is kind of bad, but that also doesn't stop you from it being the right move. If that makes sense, it isn't all value in a vacuum. Like, the vacuum is nice, and then you actually have to apply it practically, and maybe that's the practical move. Well, there's a second practical move here to do that, right? Like you can do what, you know, I had been told the Hawks were exploring. Uh, they, they've explored everything at this stage. Travis sure. Schlenk is an incredibly smart general manager, in my opinion. And, I expect and, him and to be very one. successful. He's very, he's not yeah, shy about moving around. He's very active. So what I've been told that they'd explored was moving down from 10, right? And I think that the idea there would have been to try and accumulate further assets, like getting future pick values. So, you know, what you could do is a strategy similar to what the New England Patriots do, right? Every year they accumulate all of these picks and then they use them to accumulate further picks down the road. And then eventually, once they see a guy that they really fall in love with, decide, hey, we're going to move up and grab this guy because we have all of this draft capital to where we can do so. So if that ended up being the case, I think that that's a very reasonable move as well for Atlanta. Um, in some ways, I think it's probably their best case move. If you think that you don't want to take two top 10 pick rookies into camp at eight and 10. Yeah. So I mean, if I was them, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, that, I've, I've been sure to point out to people that even all the reporting, like, you know, when Woj is dropping little nuggets or Mike Schmitz or anybody on TV and uh, everyone assumes that, 
Uh, movement means moving up, and I, I've long said that that would not surprise me if they wanted to go down from 10, just because, you know, them not taking two picks in the top 10 does not mean they have to go up. Uh, up might be more likely now, because they have this extra pick at 17 that they didn't have two weeks ago, but, you know, value-wise, going down from 10 to somewhere else and getting a future pick always made sense to me, so maybe they still want to do that. Yeah, and if I was them, I'd be trying to accumulate like 2021 and 2022 picks yep. as opposed to 2020 picks, just because the 2020 draft looks very similar to this one, potentially, uh, if not a little bit worse. So, and, and they already have a Brooklyn uh, pick now, by the way, in 2020. So they already have probably two first rounders in the 2020 draft, which is not where you want to be necessarily, but they're probably going to have two. Right. So I, I look at Atlanta as being in an incredibly advantageous situation to where they can play their cards right. And I think they're an incredible in an incredibly advantageous situation because they have a general manager who knows how to play their cards right. Uh, I'll just be interested to see what they do, because I think that there are just so many different options on the table that I can't really predict right now what the outcome is. I, I do this as much as anyone, right? Oh, yeah. Like I, I try and come up with all of these different avenues and try and come up with all of these different scenarios. And, uh, the Hawks are, the Hawks are one of the ones right now that leave me stumped, uh, the Hawks and also the Lakers, but the Lakers leave me stumped for an extraordinarily different reason <laughs> Yes, because the Lakers cleared out their entire front office and are searching for Carol in HR right now, trying to figure out what, where everyone went. So, um, we'll see, we'll see what the Lakers do and what the Lakers do ultimately in the Anthony Davis, uh, trade rumors and everything like that. So it'll, it'll be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have, six picks and a GM that's active and st instability ahead of them in the draft. You have all these scenarios where I am of the same mind as you, even if I hear things um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go into draft night, not being convinced of just about anything. The board is pretty open mm. for the Hawks, uh, which would be interesting to be sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you about some players. So let's, let's do a little bit of that. Um, let's start in the second round and then we'll come back to the end because that maybe sort of Oh, I love that peak. move. Uh, we can peek later. Uh, but, you know, the Hawks have these three second round picks and they may not make them all as we talked about a second ago, but um, a lot of potential fruit to be had in the, you know, 35, 41, 44 range. Uh, without asking you about 20 guys, who, who, are, who are a few that you seem to think A, could be there and B, would, would be good investments uh, in that range? Okay. That's a fun question. I'm just going to leave, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna leave it up to you on this one. It's just wide open that way. I have your big board in front yeah. of me, but it's just, you know, it's more fun. I just, I'll, I'll let you vamp. So, uh, if they could end up with Chuma Okiki, I think that would be a big win. He's a um, I have him as a, me as well. Yeah. I have him as a late first rounder right now. Um, let's see who else if they could end up with Grant Williams. That'd be great. Like I think Grant has a chance to fall into the like early second round mix, which is dumb on a uh, number agreed. of levels, but yes. is very possible right now. Um, Dylan Windler, I think would make sense for what they look for in players. There's some overlap there with Kevin Herter, not only in hair color, but also in game. Uh, <laughs> Admiral Schofield, I think, would make sense. He'd give them like a level of toughness that I think they could use. Uh, Naz Reed and his ability to knock down above the break threes is intriguing to me because, you know, the Hawks drafted Amari Spellman last year. I think Naz Reed's just a lot better than Amari Spellman, to be honest. So uh, if you were going to take one, you should probably take the better version of that. It, it, just in terms of skill set, if you have these six picks, right, and you're going to use a bunch of them. Um, Daquan Jeffries, Terrence Davis, Terrence Mann, uh, you know, you could throw out a lot of names. Actually, like I said, I think this is a pretty deep draft. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the Hawks have a lot of really interesting possibilities there. What do you, um, and those are a lot of interesting guys. I wanted to ask you specifically about the, the two prep to pro guys. Uh, Basley's obviously a little bit more highly regarded, but do you think either one of them could or should be in play because uh, obviously because of the theoretical upside fans like to talk about those guys as like these lottery tickets Basley I think is maybe even it's probably gonna go higher I would imagine but do you like either one of those guys a potential Atlanta fits I I Basley would be fine I think um you know six nine seven foot ish six eleven ish wingspan 
uh, kind of a wing forward who uh, has fluid athleticism, not like the world's most explosive dude, but uh, is very fluid for his size. Yeah, I think that like best case scenario for him is Trevor Ariza, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great win, right? Like if a team drafted oh, yeah. Darius Baisley at 32 and they get a guy that can knock down corner threes and play a versatile defensive role for them. Like, I think that's an incredibly valuable uh, thing to undertake, but I wonder if he's the second contract guy, much in the same way that Trevor Ariza (laughs) ended up being a second (laughs) contract guy for the most part. Uh, These skinny guys that aren't like high level shooters to start their career. uh, I just wonder where they derive value early on in their careers. So uh, Baisley is interesting on a number of levels, but uh, you know, probably wouldn't be a guy that I would select at least. Yeah. It might take a while uh, there. Um, I will say my, my two favorite, if they possibly were there at 35 guys and they may not be there. Either one of them are Ty Jerome and Eric Pascal, which tells you probably people a lot about, about, about a lot about me. And I like older guys more than some people do, but uh, either one of those guys makes if sense. Ty I think Jerome's Jerome, there. Great. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think he will be, but I, uh, maybe he will be. I think, I mean, defensively it might be interesting considering his lack of athleticism, but just as a dribble pass, shoot skill, basketball IQ guy, he makes a lot of sense for the Hawks just for the way that, that they evaluate guys. I think. Yeah, no, definitely. He's like, it's funny. Uh, I was talking to someone about uh, Mike Budenholzer, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this dude is the most Mike Budenholzer, like dribble pass shoot, like, oh, yeah. Maybe, you know, uh... skill guy that I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, the Bucks, the Bucks at 30 might be a spot for, for Ty Jerome. I guess he's not drafting. Mean, I guess Bud's not drafting anymore. Um, so maybe not, but I don't know how much power he has. Right. Right. Like, I would imagine on some level, like, he'll be in the room and be like, hey, uh, Ty Jerome is everything I look for if the person's name is not Ursan Ilyasova. So, like, take this guy right now. Uh, wouldn't shock me. And then who's the second guy you'd mentioned? Eric, Eric, Eric Pascal from Villanova. Combo sure. forward type. Yeah. Much in the same vein of, like, taking DeAndre Hunter. Um, DeAndre's just way better on defense. But uh, Eric Pascal, I think, is very interesting just because – Six seven seven foot wingspan, two hundred and fifty pounds, can play up and down the lineup. Uh, fills a very real hole for Atlanta, I think, um, just in terms of the way that they're building their roster. Yeah, that's kind of one of the reasons why he really appeals. I like him in general, but then you throw in the the fit stuff, and he might make some sense. Uh, okay, I, what's uh, I don't know if the Hawks are going to make this pick, but now they have seventeen, and that's the one that I've covered the least because of how late they acquired that pick. And it's sort of a new world that opens up at 17 when compared to 10 and 35 where they were before. Uh, anybody particularly intrigue you? I thought Grant Williams might be a good fit there. I th- obviously, I'm not expecting him to go 17 based on some of the mock stuff, but I would be happy with him if they took him at 17. Um, but anybody that's, I guess, more, maybe more realistic that the Hawks could target if they were to stay at uh, 17? Yeah, I mean, like two of my favorites in that range are Nick Claxton. Uh, you know, I think Georgia fans that are also Hawks fans might be pretty familiar with him. Uh, you know, 19 years old, 6'11", 7'3", wingspan, uh, super mobile, has potential to be an actual guy who can help you in the playoffs, can really block shots, has the ability to handle the ball, has potential to shoot it down the road. He's not quite there yet. Um, definitely a guy that needs some time in the G League. Definitely a guy that, uh, you know, isn't going to be a high-level contributor next year. But the Hawks are still in asset accumulation mode. They can take their time with a guy like Nick Claxton and let his upside marinate, basically. Uh, He he would be a guy that I would strongly consider at 17 as an upside play. Um, And then Kevin Porter is like, no no one knows where Kevin's going to go. I think that teams should take him like right around the lottery to be honest, but you know, I have him at 25 on my mock draft right now, like somewhere in that range. So I look at Kevin and I think that, uh, his upside is just tremendous as a scorer who can also knock down shots, uh, you know, from beyond the three point line. He has that incredible dribble step back move. He's just got, uh, such a wide variety of skills as a scorer that I think it would mesh really well with, you know, Kevin Herter coming off of screens and, uh, you know, just kind of running all over the place and knocking down shots. Right. Um, it'd be a great secondary creator to have on the floor next to a Trey Young. Yeah. It's funny. I've never been a big Porter guy and I've said that, 
Um, but now, and that was more through the lens of like considering eight and 10 at 17, I'd be totally fine with it. Cause he is talented. He's obviously very talented. Uh, and that doesn't feel like a reach in the way that 10 felt to me. So, you know, I don't, you know, fit wise and there's probably some downside there with Kevin Porter, um, based on what he was in college or wasn't at times, but he, the upside's clearly there, I think. I think so. Uh, you know, I, I would be very interested. I mean, I, I'm sure that Hawks fans, you know, just like the rest of the internet wants me to talk about Brandon Clark. How, how did we get to the point where like a six foot eight guy with a six, eight wingspan became like the internet darling? This, this is funny because, like, uh, I think it might've been even after you and Cole talked recently and I had Brian Schroeder on who loves Brandon Clark and all of the internet guys love Brandon Clark. And I got a few messages from people that I think are smart. Um, that either are around the Hawks or fans of the Hawks that were like, what is the deal with Brandon Clark? And I'm like, cause, and I like him, but I like him more in the way that you do. Like, I think you have him, what, like, like a late lottery top 15 ish kind of guy, not top five. Yeah. Like some people, people do. Brandon Clark's good. Like, yeah. I, I don't mean to, I'm where you like, are. Uh, yeah, like he's, he's a good player. He knows where to be defensively. Um, you know, he, he has potential to shoot it sort of, he has potential to, uh, make plays off the bounce. I think he plays the right way. Elite level athlete, elite level elevation uh, to finish over players, not just in terms of dunking on them, but being able to like elevate over guys and have less of a contest on those like little flip shots on those little uh, runners that he takes uh, in the middle of the lane. Like that, that stuff is very valuable. And I, I don't mean to like say that it's not for sure, but like there, there are real questions if his game translates like very, very real serious questions uh, about a guy that doesn't really have a ton of like off ball offensive skill. He does put pressure on the rim as like a screen setter, I guess. Um, but because he doesn't shoot it all that well yet, I, I just wonder what the role is. Um, you know, can play some dribble handoff stuff for sure too. Um, can short roll and make some plays with passing. Uh, it, it's just like, to me, it's a limited skill set on some level. And that's okay. Like guys that have limited skill sets are worthy of drafting, but um, it's, it's just very weird because his game profiles is a five right now. Like that's kind of what he is. And I just wonder if he's big enough to actually grab defensive rebounds and do things that like fives actually have to do, or even like, you know, fours have to do at the end of the day. Yeah. He's interesting. And you know, at 17, it's perfectly reasonable, but uh, beyond that, it gets uh, potentially tricky. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you about, um, two, well, let's, I'll take this, take this one at a time. Uh, I want to ask you about two centers that we have not talked about just yet that I know are uh, very popular or unpopular or both for Hawks fans. Um, so I'm going to compare, sure. I'm going to compare them to you. Uh, and these are, these, these are the later guys, not the lottery guys. We'll get there in a second. Uh, Bruno Fernando and Bol Bol. Uh, Bol Bol, as you well know, is polarizing anyway, but Bruno Fernando is like sort of weirdly become like Hawks fan favorite. I find that people really like him and like really? ask about him a lot. And I, I'm not really sure why, but, uh, yeah, there's this very large contingent of readers slash listeners to this podcast that really like Bruno Fernando. So I wanted to ask you about him specifically for that reason. And Bull Bull is just so weird that I have to ask you about him. Yeah, I think Bruno is going to be a solid backup center for a while in the NBA. Um, I, I just wonder what he does that makes like a high level difference uh, at the next level. He is a very good rebounder. Um, can pass the ball out of a short roll. Can put the ball on the deck once. That's valuable. Um not really a shooter, but I guess has some potential to shoot it depending on who you talk to. Um, you know, shot doctors and people have different opinions on this stuff. Um, ultimately what worries me is defensively, he's not really a guy who makes a high level impact at the rim because mm -hmm. he's often late in terms of rotation and in terms of awareness. And then obviously he's not like a switch guy on defense. You know, you're gonna have to play pretty soft pick and roll coverage with him. Uh, so you have those two factors and he's not really a shooter. So you're basically deriving all of your value out of him as like a playmaker passer in short roll, like mid range areas. And to me, that's just kind of a limited skill set i guess unless you think he's better defensively than what i do um i have him like in the mid 30s on my board i, I think he's like i said i think he's going to be a good backup center for a while i just don't know what the value of that is at the next level right now 
Yeah, I mean, I uh, I've long said that if the Hawks get him at thirty five, then sure, sign me up. That's fine. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I'm uh, there are people that like him like in the mid first round. And I don't really see that. Um, okay, Bobo, I know your answer because I've listened to you talk about it. But for people that haven't talked, uh, heard you talk about Bobo before, give me your uh, thirty second Bobo thoughts. I don't know that I can limit it to thirty. Okay, but, cool. go, go as long uh, as you want, Sam. You can go as long as you want on anything. I promise. You're the guest. I. Uh, I'm not really a bowl bowl guy. Same. I, I get the appeal. <laughs> uh, I do think he's like a 40% three point shooter. Like I, I genuinely believe that. Um, the rest of it doesn't really work for me. Uh, really poor defender out in space. Like l- Bruno Fernando is not like a huge liability out in space because you can play soft pick and roll coverage. Um, Bull Bull is liability out in space getting blown by by guards like Jordan Bohannon out of Iowa. Like, issues. <laughs> Uber, Uber athlete Jordan Bohannon, uh, one might say. So, yeah. Right. Um, has super high center of gravity, very high hips in regard to the way he runs, um, very slow twitch in terms of athleticism. The length is there, but, and, and like he can block weak side shots, but. He also just gets pinned constantly um, playing post defense. Like, again, you can go back to the Iowa game. Like, I think that bull ball against Iowa, if you want your listeners to fall out of love with bull ball, just have them watch him on defense having to deal with them. Because it's like a lot of guys that probably aren't going to play in the NBA other than Wieskamp maybe. Um, just kind of taking him all over the court, forcing him to defend. Uh, out in space and then pinning him down in the basket with Luca Garza and just making him look like he can't hold his position. Um, your transition defense is always going to be something of an issue with bowl just because, uh, again, slow twitch guy, high hips, doesn't really run all that well. Um, offensively, there are skills there, I guess. Uh, he can be a backup center for sure. I have no doubts about that. Um, just because of the shooting ability, like he is Channing Fryish as a shooter, I think. Uh, then you come to some of the off-court questions in regard to: Does this dude love basketball? Is he going to put in the work at the level commensurate that elite level players do? Uh, so he was listed at 235 pounds by Oregon this year, and he came in the combine at 207 pounds. Uh, was Oregon lying, or did he just lose thirty pounds? And, uh, and like, seven two with a seven eight wingspan and two oh seven is like impossible. <laughs> also, yeah, and it's also impossible in regard to injury, right? Yep. Like this is a guy who his frame does not look like it's going to hold up long term, and it sucks. Like on some level, I feel bad for him, but uh, th- there are real injury concerns, and that's before we get to the fact that. He was actually hurt this year and has a navicular bone injury. Um, and navicular bone injuries tend to take a while. I know he had his workout yesterday. Uh, I heard from NBA teams that he looked fine there. Uh, it's just like you can find centers that can shoot. Like Amari Spellman can shoot the ball. Uh, I guess he can't be the rim protector that Bobol has potential to be just due to his frame and length. But like... He's just so skinny that I think he's going to get blown through constantly. I, I I think ultimately at the end of the day, people talk about Bull Bull as if he is like some top five upside talent, right? And I just don't know that I see the upside uh, at the highest levels that some people do. Uh, th- that's fine. I'm, I've been wrong before. Uh, if I'm wrong about Bull, I will happily say I was wrong. Um, but I'll also just say, like, this is a guy I'm comfortable missing on at the end of the day. Like, if I take a – I'm trying to think of who is the, like, most milk toast like, draft prospect. Maybe, like, Cam Johnson. Like, if I miss on Bull Bull for Cam Johnson, who I think is, like, going to be a solid floor spacer for a decade in the NBA but probably isn't, like, you know, a guy who even really starts a ton of games yeah. at the next level personally. Uh, like, I'm comfortable doing that just because I would rather get someone who can contribute than a project big man that uh, I don't know is going to stay healthy. 
I, I can't say it any better than that, so we'll, we'll we'll move on from there. All right, let's let's go to the lottery before I before I let you get out of here. Well, like that, that's where you're at, right? Like, yeah, you and I agree. Almost almost across the board, I think. I mean, I have him. You know, maybe late first if somebody wants to get frisky at the earliest. Like, I, I wouldn't take him before 25. Um, and that's and I'm lower than that. I just I can sort of see it. Then on, on a good team that's drafting him as a long term maybe piece, I agree with you on the upside. The defense is a disaster. I mean. People got really mad at me when I said that a few months ago, and I think people might have watched him more because I hear a little bit less of the pushback now than I did. No, his defense it's is so a bad. disaster. Yeah, it's 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 really like because people, people it's just see really I mean, you, really bad. You know how this works. People see the block numbers and they assume that's good defense, and it's you know that's nice that he can block shots, and he certainly is going to block shots. He's incredibly long and all that, but that's kind of all he can do. Yeah, like people. <laughs> People freak out about like Taylor Horton Tucker's, you know, steals and blocks or whatever, like numbers. And he you watch him defender. actually play defense <laughs> and he's bad at defense. Yep. Like his hips like can't turn and recover with guys once they blow by and his feet, his lateral quickness isn't great. Uh, if you told me Taylor Horton Tucker was an NBA player by the time he was like 22 because he got his body in shape and, you know, did all this stuff, I would buy that. But like I wouldn't want to be the team that drafts him necessarily but no, like people look at the right steals now. and blocks yeah people look at the steals and blocks numbers and they're like oh yeah like this guy is a good defender and he's versatile and he can do multiple things and it's just kind of not it's not the case like just go and watch the tape and see yeah watching the tape can uh, change a lot of minds on a lot of things um okay i'm not gonna, i'm not gonna ask you about every single player but now let's get to the lottery quickly and stay with bigs because uh there is a as you might expect, a Jackson Hayes versus Goga debate raging uh, in Hawksland because one of those guys could be in play for them, late lottery. Um, do you have a preference between those two? They're obviously very different, but they play the same position-ish. So what do you think about those two guys? I do. Uh, I would take Goja. Um, Hayes is good. Don't get me wrong. Um, I get the appeal. I get the upside here. Uh Anytime that you can get a rim runner like Jackson Hayes who can catch high above the basket and has some short roll ability, like you can you can put the ball on the deck a couple times, but he's not really a passer. Um, you know, not really a guy that I think can make a lot of plays with the ball on his hand right now. Um, he can put it on the deck like once or twice and get to the basket, but it's all for himself. And I wonder how that translates at the next level. You're really going to have to bulk him up. I do think that his body will take well to bulking up and putting on strength. And, you know, I have him as a lottery prospect. So like, I don't want to like shit on him too much um, because there are real talents there. I would just rather have the finished project or like more finished product that is Goja. Um, you know, Tadzi is a guy that, I was not really a fan of coming into the year uh, because he was pretty slow footed when I'd seen him in the past. He's mm -hmm. done a lot of really great work on uh, just moving better. And I still have questions there in regard to the NBA. Like he's not going to be a switch guy. You have to play pretty soft pick and roll coverage with him um, and just let him recover back onto centers after he you know takes care of business. Uh, you know, either just soft hedging out or whatever he has to do to contain the point guard. But the thing that is good about him is that he's just really, really smart. And he is already like just an awesome screen setter. This dude is so, so good at uh, getting his guard space uh, by making contact on screens and then rolling into the open area, just like naturally, he doesn't necessarily uh, just do the same thing every time. Like Jackson is pick, roll to the basket, pick, roll to the basket. Goja has the ability to pop and knock down a three. He has the ability to get into the short roll range. You can put the ball, put the ball on the deck a little bit. Um, he has the ability to, uh, you know, kind of even just roll into that like 12 foot range and catch and then like take two steps and finish uh, with great hands. He opens his frame up wide and does a really good job of presenting a huge target for point guards to hit. So he leaves a big uh, margin for error in regard to, you know, the point guard finding the center on the roll for an efficient basket. There's just so much that I think he does on uh, an offensive level 
that I think is going to translate well to the NBA level. And then defensively, he is an awesome rim protector. He's 6'11 with like a 7'5 wingspan. Uh, his ability to rotate over, he contests almost everything. Uh, he is he is going to be a good defensive rim protector at the next level. That I don't really have questions about. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the only question that I had, and I, he was one of the guys that I definitely saw the least of until a couple of months ago, because that's just logistics of how this stuff works. He was not on my radar super high until like January. But, you know, my only real question is d- defense in space. And it's, it's apparently better than it was. And even as even during this season, the tape that I saw, it was getting better. Like he's not, as you said, not going to be great in space, I don't think. But with his size, it's that's okay. When you're skilled, when you're as skilled as he is offensively, he's fairly young. I think I think he'll be tw- what what twenty in July. Like he's not super old either, and he was you know very productive in a very good league, and that's a nice combination too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just look at Goja and I'm like, this guy is it, it's a perfect fit with Trey Young because he's uh, has great differentiation in the pick and roll. It's a perfect fit uh defensively for a team that really needs rim protection right now um assuming that Dwayne Dedman leaves so I I just look uh, look at it all and say this is really really good yeah he might be my favorite my favorite target at 10 now um if they don't just take you know I can make the argument and I have made the argument that they, that they should just take two wings and forwards and just call it a day um but if they didn't do that uh he would be the guy I would take at 10 um if he was there uh, I think there's a real case to take him at eight to be honest oh really um, interesting let's, let's talk about that now because that, that was the next thing I was going to get to was the guys who are often associated at eight so if you think that's you know would you take him over the likes of Reddish and Little and Sekou uh, in that same kind of I'm, tier yeah I'm gonna have it very close uh I would I would probably take him over Nasir um very, very close on Reddish. Uh, I have them 8-9 right now uh, on my board. Uh, oh, man. You're going to make me make a decision on this, aren't you? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just going to say it's close. I, I would That's probably <laughs> take... So just from like a game theory perspective and like trying to figure out what my opponent is going to do at 9, I would probably take Reddish at 8 if only because... I cannot see a world where the Wizards take Goja at nine. But, I mean, maybe that's just me ascribing, uh, like, values to a messy front office situation right now. Like, not wanting to take a European center when they already have Thomas Bryan on the roster and just can pay him in free agency. So, like, yeah, I think that – I think I would take Reddish, but mostly from the perspective of trying to, like, get both. Yeah, I I can see that. I mean, I've I I've long been on record as just I like to favor wings and forwards. If it's close, I, I would lean toward the wing and forward just in the way that game's being played now. Um, but yeah. if you think Goga is better, then you just take him. I, I totally understand that thought process, and I've come around to him in a big way. Um, I, I I'm with you that if they you know. If, for instance, they take, I mean, I, I haven't seen anybody think that they're actually going to stay at eight and ten. Everyone thinks they're going to move somewhere, whether it be up or down. Um, but if they stay at eight and ten, I agree with the with the, sort of the game theory. By the way, that's a little shout out to you. Uh, the game theory of uh, taking reddish at eight, thinking you could still get Goga at ten. But yeah, that that all makes sense. Um. Yeah, I mean, like none of the point guards really interest me for them. Like, I wouldn't take Kobe White and take Garland. They can't. They can't. They, yeah. they, they just so, absolutely can't do it with Trey. It's just not. I mean, it's it, it's made it easier and also less fun for me to just kind of ignore the point guards entirely. But they just can't do it. I mean, there's. I, I understand Kobe White's got some decent size, especially. I like Garland more than White, but Garland is an even worse fit with Trey. Like, you just can't. You can't do it. It doesn't work. Yeah. No question. Um. And then what you want to finish on, Jared and DeAndre? Yeah, let's, let's talk about Culver Hunter and if you have anybody else up there with those guys because, you know, because of what we said at the very beginning of this podcast, Reddish was the guy that was probably linked with the Hawks for the longest. So there is a segment of Hawks fans that has just decided that they're, that they're taking Reddish by any cost and now and sort of placing him in that tier with Culver and Hunter. I, I, I don't know about you, and I, I'm going to ask you this, but I don't have Reddish in the tier with Culver and Hunter. I think Culver and Hunter are just better. Um, but... You know, if they're going to stay at eight, I, I doubt either of, that, either of those guys is going to be there. I'll let you weigh on whether that's even possible. And if not, um, is it worth it to go up? I think I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but let's talk about specifically now what you make of Culver, Hunter, and um, which one you prefer even. Yeah, Jarrett, uh, 
Which one I prefer the, prefer for the Hawks? I would say DeAndre. Um, we'll start with DeAndre, I guess, before we start with Jarrett then. Um, so DeAndre, to me, 6'8", 7'2", wingspan, elite-level defender, multi-position defender. The Hawks badly need someone who I think uh, can provide these skills on the floor. Uh, it's a perfect fit next to Trey Young, perfect because uh, of the ability to knock down catch-and-shoot threes from the corner at the very least. He'll probably be coming above the break three-point shooter at some point. Um Perfect fit next to Kevin Herter because he can take on tougher defensive assignments on the wing. Uh, you know, perfect fit next to John Collins if you want to play uh, Herter Hunter Collins across the front line with a center. Uh, I still wonder if John Collins is best positions as a center, but you know, we'll find out uh, over the course of the next couple years as Collins develops because I don't know that I would put limitations on him. Um, so. The defensive skill is just very real. The offensive skill uh, is burgeoning. He can put the, put the ball on the deck like a couple times. He's smart at making the right read passing-wise. Uh, to me, it, like I've been comparing him to Damari Carroll a lot, which Hawks fans will obviously be very familiar with. I think he's like Hawks-level Damari Carroll very early in his career, which is a really valuable player. Oh, yeah. that's a, I mean, it's always funny to hear – uh, some of the reactions when I say stuff like that, like, you know, this is a top five projected pick and just someone says Damari Carroll and people freak out like that's not a good player. Um, and I understand it's not a star, it's not sexy, and neither one of these guys is particularly sexy, particularly DeAndre, I think, is just even less sexy, even if you like him a ton, and I do, I've liked him for a long time. People just recoil at the comparisons that are thrown out there because that's not what you associate with a top five pick, but that's the reality of the class. That's that's who you have to choose from, uh, and, you know, he can be a very, very good two-way player. And that's useful. Yeah, like Damari Carroll, uh, what, was he right before the cap spike, right? He signed his deal with Toronto? Yeah, the year before after he, mean, had, he had his career year and signed for, what, 460, something like that, and, you know, earned it. He was very good in Atlanta. I mean, sh- like, shit, if that guy hit the cap, uh, hit the cap spike, he would have signed, like, a four. $85 million contract. Well, I mean, he was, he, simply from a Hawks perspective, he was better than Kent Bazemore was the next year and Kent signed for 470. So, right. And DeMari so, was better. Yeah, like Damari would have very easily cleared real money, I think. Um, you know, Damari, you can look back at the numbers. You know, you're not, not going to like come away thinking it was like something incredible. I think what he's probably an average like 12 points, six rebounds, two assists guy uh, that played super, super high level defense and was uh, what? Probably like a six, 58, 60 true shooting guy, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it was very efficient, no question about it. Yeah, so like those guys are invaluable in today's NBA, I think. Um, you know, Damari was he wasn't like an all-star level player, but what he was probably a top 60 player in those years, right? Like I, I think that oh, that's yeah. I mean, that's the, what you're looking at for DeAndre Hunter and that's a really valuable player if you're getting it early in his career. That's the thing. Like it took Damari Carroll what until he was 28 Oh yeah, Probably. he was a, he was a, like a third contract guy. But by the time he got to Atlanta and found uh, whatever it was that he found on, I, I, by the way, he signed for two years and five million. Danny Ferry signed him uh, in the same summer. They they got Paul Millsap for two for nineteen, which is hilarious, and Demar Kerr for two for five in the same summer. That went pretty well, I think. Right. So like there there are some like interesting Paul Millsap like without the rebounding kind of comparisons. I think you can make with DeAndre too. Um, just because I, I think that his offensive upside is probably a little bit greater than uh, Damari Carroll's was. But Damari Carroll was, you know, top 60 player in the league for three years. And if you get that from DeAndre, top 60 player in the NBA from the time he's, let's say, because what, he'll be 22 next year. From the time he's 23 until he's 29, that's a super valuable player. Absolutely. And that's what you're uh, hoping for there. All right, let's let's finish on Culver. I, you have Hunter ahead of Culver in a vacuum or just is that a Hawk specific thing for you? Or close? Uh, it both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I like DeAndre a little bit more. Um, I think Jarrett's upside is higher. I think he can be a real offensive shot maker in a Chris Middleton mold. It is ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that there's just a while to go on the jump shot still. Um, I think you're going to get more rookie contract value out of DeAndre Hunter. Um, 
Jarrett Culver is a guy that is a very real shot creator, uh, very good passer, can be a secondary ball handler, would fit really well, really, really well on offense next to Trey Young and Kevin Herter. My thing that's happening is I think he's like a little bit overrated defensively. Uh, his feet and his attention to detail isn't like incredible on that end. And I think people think of him as like a potential all defense guy because he played for Texas Tech and you know Texas Tech had this incredible defense because they had Matt Mooney and Tariq Owens and Odiasi and Chris Beard and uh, uh, what the fuck is his name? Mark Adams. Um, like built this unbelievable, ridiculous defensive scheme that just works incredibly well. Um, he's a guy that like they sheltered a little bit with easy matchups and let him like help way off because, uh, he's very good at using his hands to disrupt and kind of create steals that way. That's a valuable skill. Don't get me wrong, but like the, the defense there is not like you know, all defense level potential. Yeah, I, I do think Hunter is a better defender and just bigger and just r- more ready-made. I do think Culver is going to be a good defender, but not like a game changer either. And the, the argument for Culver, and I have Culver ahead, but not like light, light, light years ahead or anything like that, is the offensive upside, like you said. Um, if you believe in Culver's offensive upside, then you probably like him more. Um, I like both these guys and, you know, I feel kind of proud because like I would have told, I, I think I was pretty high on these guys in like November, which is nice. It's nice to like be, you know, maybe maybe we're not right yet, but I, I think people have sort of centered on them as both like top five guys, and it's like, oh, I like those guys early. That, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, no question. Um, trying to think, is there is there anyone else you want to talk about? Um, not unless you think it's realistic that the Hawks could get up to three, because there was that there was that there was that stray Knicks rumor that just like kind of emerged from nowhere and then disappeared right away of like eight and ten for three if they want to go, go get RJ, which I have not heard anything about since or before that. But unless you've heard something about that, then probably not. I don't know. Oh, maybe, maybe Seku. Yeah. Uh, oh, Seku. We should talk about Seku. Very he might, interesting. He might, he might be a um, guy. Yeah, six eight with six eleven, seven foot ish wingspan. Uh, maybe six nine. Now I think he might have grown an inch over the last year. Um, more comfortable as a driver. Good feel for the game. Good feel for spacing. Uh, jump shot is developing. Uh, it looks a little. It it has definitely grown quite a bit over the course of the last year. Uh, I I was not as much of a fan of it uh, when I saw him at Basketball Without Borders in, what would that be, February 2018. Uh, It's gotten better over the course of the year. He dealt with a hand injury, hand wrist injury, something like that uh, earlier in the year. And, uh, you know, missed, I want to say, six weeks. And when he came back, he's been on a tear since he's come back. He's been awesome. Um, Very, very productive at the French League level. The French League is not fantastic by any stretch of the imagination. It's actually a pretty big uh, disaster in terms of just like organization and like development and everything. Um, I, I would imagine that he'll come over next year. So you're talking about a circumstance where it's not a stash pick. Um, Interesting upside still is not quite there yet in terms of like being physically ready for the NBA, in my opinion, um, might take a year or two to really get there, which is, you know, something that I think has to play into your evaluations, but there's real upside there. He's very, very gifted and very talented. Yeah. And fluid athlete and, you know, he's very young and if you're the Hawks, maybe with all these picks, if they don't package them, there's might be some more license to take more of a swing. I mean, that, that's at least the thought process that's out there that I've heard. It's like, well, the Hawks have all these picks, so might as well take some upside swings. I'm like, yeah, I, I sort of get that, and he would be that. I mean, what is the, I guess the question is, like, how high is his upside? That's, that's, kind of what, that's kind of where people seem to differ on him is, like, yeah, everyone agrees he's kind of raw and needs some time, but what if it works? Like, what does that look like with Seku? I mean, if it really, really works, like maybe a slightly less athletic Pascal Siakam. And that would really um, work. He's very good. That I've re- that's like 100% though. Like oh, I'd sure. say is like median outcome is probably something like 
uh, maybe Alfaruk Aminu. Well, it's like Siakam, like, by the way, who was not supposed to be Siakam. Like, he kind of hit his 100% outcome. <laughs> Siakam was a late first round. Right, 100%. Yeah. It's like, kind of funny. But yeah, just, just want to throw that out there because it, it's people, uh, revisionist history, that 2016 draft with Siakam going so late. And it's like, wasn't he supposed to go even later than that? <laughs> like, he was not supposed to be this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no question. It was a kind of a surprise funny, when he I, uh, went in the first round, wasn't it? Yeah, I had a phone call about him. I wrote about him earlier in that year. I was like, yeah, this guy is really good and really interesting. Um, I still had him at like 45 or something on my board. Uh, the two guys, it's funny, like I've made calls on like a couple of days before the draft and I go, you know, like, am I am I screwing this up? Like, is he has a chance. He should go higher than this, right? Our Siakam and Larry Nance. Um, Nance, the uh, what is what does he have? Um the the condition what oh, is it the yeah. one that like i'm trying to remember now i can't remember what it's called yeah i, I know what you're talking about um yeah that that threw me off a little bit i think you and um, i talked about Larry Nance <laughs> offline and i was like wait what's going on oh maybe maybe, maybe it was in vegas somewhere I, I remember talking to you about larry nance about the same thing that's kind of funny but uh yeah yeah like larry was really interesting larry's like a super super athlete i just didn't know uh how to handle the medical situation because like you know i was what probably 25 24 when larry got drafted 25 medicals are hard that's the thing people always ignore and not you but like fans like medicals are hard man like you you either know or you don't and most people don't know like teams know more obviously than we do but medical stuff is really tricky uh particularly as an outside evaluator like if you don't have it if you don't know exactly what it is it's really tough to like build that in you're kind of just guessing like we all are but it's tough yeah honestly i just um don't report them anymore. It's probably smart. Uh, I know them. I yeah. just don't report them. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> like, that, 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 that's the safe way to do me. it, honestly. It's like even when you're building your board, yeah. it's like maybe you can account for it, but until you know as much as the team knows or um, the agent or the player know, which is you're probably never going to know that much information. It's just tough. Right, and Larry Nance has Crohn's disease. That's what uh, it is. There you go. That's what it is. So it was like it was a problem for him to keep on weight early in his career at Wyoming, and I think that's why he's been a late bloomer. Larry Nance is awesome, by the he, way. He's he can play. That, very, was good. that was a good value too. That worked out well in yeah. the draft. Um, so yeah, no. Uh, shout out Larry Nance. Yes, shout out to Larry Nance. All right, Sam. Well, I've kept you for way too long, my friend. I really appreciate all the time. People can find you, I'm sure, but please tell people where they can find your work, find your work if you continue to uh, have brain cells um, over the next week, because I know you have a lot to do. Go to The Athletic, uh, subscribe. Click click my articles and subscribe. That way I get credit for it. That would be fantastic. Perfect. Um, go to the Game Theory Podcast. Uh, what else can you do? You can – yeah, just follow me on Twitter, Sam underscore Vicini. Uh, yesterday I went on a massive uh, like rant about turning into Charlie Day during the Pepe Silvia scene from uh, – <laughs> It's always sunny. Oh, that's, uh, that's basically what I'm turning into now. I'm turning into uh, Charlie Kelly. Well, uh, only we only one, one more week left, and then you get like a whole like couple days off, and then free agency comes after that. So great, that'll be exciting for everybody. Um, I, I'm I'm exhausted, and uh, you have a lot more to do than me, so I can only imagine where your brain's at right now. It's uh, it's in a it's in a place. Uh, whether or not it's attached to my spinal cord and like body it's 50 50 but if you, if you, you want know, to watch sam meltdown there. in real time follow him on, on, on twitter at sam underscore that's my recommendation <laughs> thank you sir uh, you're the best in the business in my opinion and i'll say that so you don't have to and uh, i really appreciate all the time thanks brad as for everybody else please subscribe to the podcast and we'll see everybody next week